Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chen Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this extended talk session, this was taken over by Hirespace, who have a framework for action in the event sector. Yeah. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hopefully, you didn't hear too much uh, nonsensical chat before you uh, came and joined the room. Uh, our session today is Safer Events, a framework for action in the event sector, and I think it's Good news that event profs are starting to actively prepare again for events in 2020. But of course, things are going to look very different. And I'm joined by a fantastic panel today who I'm hoping are going to be able to share their insights from the various different corners of our industry and hopefully give you something to take away with and look forward to your own events in the future. So my name is Martin Farland and I'm the editor of Conference News Magazine and the editorial director of MASH Media. I will be moderating the session today. Now obviously we want the audience to get involved where we can so please pop your questions in the chat bar on the side and we will try to get to those maybe at the end but if I see anything interesting that I want to throw towards the uh, towards the panel I will do so. So I'm now going to ask the panel to introduce themselves, appearing as they appear clockwise on the screen to me. Rachel, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience, please? Yes, no, thank you. Hi, my name's Rachel McCauley. I head up the um, events and conferencing team at uh, VIEW, so the cinema chain, looking after that area for them. Thank you. Ed? Hi, guys. I'm Ed. I am one of the founders of Hirespace.com. Uh, and we have been working on a uh, safer events framework for action. It's an accreditation scheme for venues and events organizers in the meetings and events industry. Fantastic. Thank you, Ed. Natalie, introduce yourself to our audience, please. Hi, everyone. I'm Natalie. I lead the events for the EMEA region for Morningstar. We're a global investment management and research and data firm. Uh, so yeah, lots of events taking place usually in uh, in the EMEA region for us. And finally, Mr. Paul. Hi, right, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Black. So I work for London and Partners. So with international trade, investment, and promotion labour, and I sit within the London Convention Bureau team. So obviously, team focused on bringing events to London. Great stuff. Okay, guys, so I've got some questions lined up that I'm going to kind of go through with you one at a time. So, uh, Ed, we're going to start with you, Natalie, Rachel and Paul. If I could ask you to just mute your microphones just so we don't get any feedback, that would be great. So, Ed, I kind of wanted to start with you because I know Higher Space has been working on this Safer Events accreditation. Maybe you could kind of give us a, a run through of that. How did the whole thing come about and what's involved? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Martin. So at Higher Space, we work with a, uh, a a lot of corporate event professionals on their events programs through our Higher Space professional product. And when all of this happened, of course, we started consulting extensively with our clients about what they were planning on doing with their 2020 events programs. And what we found, and it was very interesting is that the same themes kept on emerging and they were largely two things so firstly there was a you know while there was a an acceptance that some events will work virtually and while there was an acceptance that it's possible to move some events into 2021 
Actually, there existed many event types that organizers were really keen to do sooner rather than later and actually weren't dispensable in 2020. Particularly, um, one of the, the, the big things that emerged was that um, internally focused events were key. So whether that's internal training or strategy, that type of event, not necessarily in an internal space, um, but an internal company event, um, people didn't see a way that they could be postponed um, into 2021 or, or, or that they would work very well virtually. Um, and secondly, hybrid events, lots of talk about hybrid events. But um, the question was, how do you do a hybrid event safely? You still need people in a physical space in order to do that hybrid event. So that was one of the big things that emerged. Um, you know, planners wanted to do these types of events. The second thing, which was really, really interesting, and this was almost universal across the clients and the corporates we spoke to, is that there existed a, a real desire to help venues and the supply chain, a real kind of understanding on behalf, behalf of those clients that this was a really difficult time for venues. It was a really difficult time for many suppliers in this industry. And if these planners could support um, that ecosystem, I suppose, in any way, um, then, they, then they wanted to do it. And what they, what they felt is that, you know, although that, that this desire was there, um, what they lacked was a, a framework, a way of, of, of thinking about this and a way to actually kind of actively start thinking about doing events this year, almost as if there was a kind of, uh, you know, I think ac across the whole industry, across most industries, um, almost a kind of paralysis at first when all of this struck and kind of what do we do next? Um, and I think what was what was called for was a was a, was a framework and a way of thinking about how do you get back to doing events. So that's where the Safer Events uh, program started from. And what we have done um, is produced a set of measures which um, are not only comprehensive of all of the latest guidance issued by public health bodies by the government, by industry associations, both domestic and global, um, and also um, looking at what countries who have emerged um, kind of earlier than we have from lockdown are doing. Um, it's a comprehensive set of measures that accommodate all of that guidance, but also um, it goes, they go kind of above and beyond, I guess, and they, they, they serve to, uh, to give practical guidance, both to venues and to events organizers, on how do you not just take this safety guidance um, that, uh, that exists, but how do you actually turn that into, um, into, into making an event happen? Um, and we have published all of these in a white paper, which we released for the first time uh, about uh, 13 days ago or something. That's been downloaded uh, about 700 times, I think, by venues and organizers and agencies. Um, and I think what we have is a real uh, next step, a framework for action and a way of thinking about live experiences again. Great. What's, uh, so what progress has there kind of been to date then, Ed? I mean, how has the situation kind of evolved and developed? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the two main things. So the white paper is the key thing. Anyone watching this, um, I would urge you to download the white paper, uh, oh, which someone, someone just put in the, in, the, in the chat box, which is great. Um, that details all of the measures and it details the process for becoming accredited. So as I say, um, the momentum behind that white paper has been huge. Uh, we have about 700 downloads. We now have venues starting the process of accreditation and we have planners, agencies and corporates starting the process uh, of accreditation too. Um, we also have, which I think is really, really important, we have a, uh, a consultation group, um, essentially, which is a group 
group of about, uh, I think it's about 40 now, um, predominantly corporate event planners um, who are consulting daily uh, on the project in a, in a, in a, uh, in a in a private group and through a regular Zoom call. In fact, Natalie is 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 one of that uh, is is one of that group. Um, and these corporates are providing real time um, advice and guidance as as the program develops. So uh, we will continue to consult at all times with those corporates. Uh, we will continue uh, at all times to be consuming all of the guidance and advice that is is coming from um, uh, from official sources. Uh, and we will continue to update that white paper. Um, every few days to make sure that it's always comprehensive uh, and always providing the best possible framework for action. Yeah, sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. So, but, but, but what are the next steps? I mean, in, in practical terms, what are the next steps, you know, with regards to this framework and how it can be applied out there in the industry in, in real life? Yeah, so, I mean, so the next step is, so, so, I think we are all, everyone in the industry is waiting for uh, the next um, the next piece of guidance from the government. Um, so I think the next thing we're all waiting, we understand that bars and, and restaurants are going to open soon. So that will be a, uh, a good indicator about what comes next. But at some point, the government will issue formal advice about what events can uh, and cannot happen. Um, so we are, I mean, we're talking to, to bodies such as uh, Visit England, who I know are working on a, on a kite mark uh, for venues. So very soon we will have this, uh, we will have the kind of official next steps from government. Um, but in terms of what organisations can do, um, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's to start the process of, of, of accreditation. So um, within that accreditation, they will have all of the, uh, the guidance and the, 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 the practical support required to actually start actively planning uh, events so that's the next step really we're waiting for the government but in the meantime there's a huge amount that we as an industry can do to get ready um, and what the the framework and the accreditation does um, is talk uh, talk venues and bookers through the steps uh, required to actually um, start to go past the talking stage and into the actively planning stage for events well, quite so. Waiting for government is something I think a lot of us are getting used to. But I have it on fair authority. I think 18th of June is when we're expecting the government guidance for the events industry to be released. I have heard other people say it could be as late as the first week of July. But I think hopefully within a few weeks, we'll be a little bit clearer with that. OK, folks, so I'm going to move on to Natalie now, but I'm going to ask the audience, if you've got any questions for Ed, please do pop them in the chat bar on the side there. We haven't got too many questions come in, so do fill your boots. Natalie, turning turning to you, tell us about how uh, you think, how you starting thinking. Too. Shall I get my words out? I'll try that again, shall I? Tell us about how you started thinking internally about your events programme when lockdown started. I mean, that must have been a really confusing and very unusual situation to find yourself in definitely i think it, it seems like a long time ago now but it was tough um you know not knowing when to make the call on particular events not wanting to jump too quickly uh wanting to give you know everyone that was going to be impacted by the choices we made about our events as much warning as possible and we really felt in limbo um in some senses we were delaying the inevitable because we were waiting on more clarity um from the government from from the scientists um, and we also didn't know how venues were going to receive our decisions to, to make changes to our events, to cancel and to, to postpone. We didn't know whether they were going to be flexible. Um, it turns out they were all phenomenal. So thank you to the venues that we work with. Great. Um, but we decided to look at all of our events program across the year for the whole year. Um, so we looked at those events that we could cancel without 
huge impact to our overall goals. You know, was there another tactic we could use to reach that same goal without doing an event? Um, we looked obviously at the cost implications um, and we plotted out where across the, um, the whole of the year we were going to have to make key decisions based on when our capacities um, were going to substantially increase. And we really ended up bucketing them into um, a few different groups. So the smaller kind of regional events, we switched those over to webinars um, where there was like a really important message that we need to apply. So whether that be, um, you know, awards announcements, uh, product launches, things like that, um, rather than just doing a webinar, we built a more robust digital framework around that. So um, social media, editorial. Um, and then for some of our larger conferences, we run a flagship series of conferences uh, for one we've got six in EMEA um, four of those we actually cancelled for 2020 um, one is um, due to take place in November um, that's under review and then our UK conference was due to take place in April so we moved that to um, to November um, but really it was kind of finding our way in the dark to be perfectly honest we were reaching out to other event managers that we know in the industry um, we had our PR agency um, deliver us a daily report that included what was happening to major events in our industry to use that as a bit of a market barometer. Um, I reached out to Hirespace to Elliot. Hi there, Elliot. Um, he was really helpful in kind of giving me a gauge on the sentiment of all of their clients and what they were deciding to do so that we didn't, so we felt comforted in the decisions we were making. We didn't want to be seen as going over the top and, and reacting too quickly and too strongly, and we didn't want to be lagging behind. And I think on the whole, we judged it pretty well, timing-wise and decision-wise. Um, I think a lot of that was probably luck rather than judgment, but um, I think we had good outcomes in the end. Great. So tell me, what, what does the process of planning events in 2020 sort of look like now? I mean, give us a bit of an overview of the key differences and the different uh, mindsets and things you have to consider. Yeah, I mean, it, it does obviously look very different, um, you know, in the past where we had a, a big conference that would obviously require work throughout the whole year. Um, some of the smaller events would mean, you know, you'd have those peaks and troughs as the year went on. Um, and I suppose that that's been replaced by a regular cadence of webinars. You still have that kind of gentle peaking and troughing throughout the year. But really, all our focus now is on one event, which is so alien to us, you know, our one conference that we're holding in November. Um, and that's that's focused on two areas. So it's going to be a hybrid event. We've got a, a significant amount of work going on on the live side and also on the digital side. But for us, it was very important to still do a live event. Um, it is traditionally a kind of 500 person event. We're probably looking at more like 200 people with the questions um, that will be in place. But that's OK for us. We're not trying to be the biggest event, certainly not right now. Um, the event for us is, is about brand, of course, and it's a great place for us to showcase. showcase but a lot of it actually is more about the education for the people that are, are attending. So it's targeted at financial advisors and their role is obviously to, to support um, individual investors that are, are trying to make their, their investment decisions. And as you will have seen, there's been a huge amount of market volatility recently. So for us, we felt very strongly that now more than ever, we needed to be there for the advisors. So now we're spending a lot of time building up a robust framework for our safer events, um, and we want that to be our blueprint that we apply globally. Um, so really kind of the, the guinea pigs for our company, so that's why we really need to make sure we get it right. And on the digital side, we're going big. Um, we're building a whole series of virtual events that are going to take place over the course of two months um, globally. So each of those events will be very interlinked. So it's a steep learning curve. You know, we're having to go back to the drawing board and, and identify new skills, uh, learn new technologies. So 
it's very different it's challenging but it's also exciting as well this is pushing us down a path that we kind of wanted to go down anyway it's just making us run rather than walk challenge is probably the word i think i'm, I'm i think i'm more irritated by the word challenge than i am on precedented or pivot in this uh, in this current climate but i'm going to just drop a challenge in there you know what what are you going what obstacles are you going to encounter ahead of your first live event with with actual people whenever that might be i mean what have you got to consider and you know how are you going to to overcome your your delegate your visitors like emotions because you know coronaphobia is still going to be around until a vaccine is readily available yeah i mean just to your point about a delegate sentiment and and fear factor and what have you that's why actually we're not so concerned about the the capacity numbers coming down because we think that will actually reflect the number of people that are going to be willing to attend but I think with anything like this, you know, it's, it's new to us, all the different measures that we're going to have to implement. So there will inevitably be teething problems. So the biggest challenge really is trying to kind of virtually scenario test everything and think of all the possible pitfalls, um, contingency planning so that you've tried to identify anything that possibly could go wrong and how you would deal with that um, if the worst does happen. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a COVID related crisis, but something could go wrong and how you deal with that. But one of the biggest challenges for us at the moment is knowing what the social distancing parameters are going to be. Is it going to be one metre? Is it one and a half? Is it two metres? Because obviously that impacts our capacities. Um, and until we know that, I don't know if I can invite any more people to my conference at the moment. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's practical things like that that are that are causing us um, the biggest frustration at the moment. Um, but it's also things like no-show rates. I, you know, we've been running this conference for 14 years now. I can say pretty much within, you know, a couple of percentage points, what our no-show rate would be in a normal year, but this is not normal anymore. So, um, you know, really trying to practically think about how that impacts us on the day and, and adjusting those numbers accordingly. Um, but we've been following the high space guidance pretty closely, refining it for our needs. Um, we're pretty confident we've outlined all the different areas and now it's just a case of going through those and, and practically speaking how that's gonna work for our event. So I've started to build out a kind of whole of um, life cycle, event life cycle plan that starts with our initial um, statements, our proactive statements that will be on our website, that will be on our invites, um, the comms that registrants are going to receive in, in the run up to the conference itself, what the delegate journey to the event physically will be, um, what will registration look like, um, so that we're really trying to think about all the different points, uh, all the different gaps that might exist right now and how we how we build those out. But it's not easy. And so my advice would be don't go it alone. Um, I did some of the legwork um, at the beginning, trying to work out all the different areas that we could look at and, and what we needed to incorporate. And I was drawing a blank. I wasn't finding any research that had done that. And that's, again, when I, I contacted Elliot um, and his advice. And that's when I got involved with the higher space framework, as, um, as Ed pointed out. Um, but I think there's a lot more out there, but I've not seen anything as robust as higher space. So I really do check out that white paper and, and try and incorporate that into my plans. Great stuff. I was going to come back with a question for Ed, who are oh, who's just appeared, reappeared just in time. I can. Yeah, that's Very great. You, you were you were you had disappeared for me. Oh Mark. no, it, time. Yeah, we here. have we have lost Paul, so hopefully he'll be back. But Ed, there's a question that's popped up from Sarah Frelful in the comment section. I'm just going to throw it to you. She asks, does the venue accreditation produce a standard risk assessment that will be shared with planners thinking to book? Yes, it does, Sarah. Um, that's that's a huge part of it. And and actually, I think the the, the kind of the, the what your um 
um, yeah, I, the, the communication between the venues and the planners is, is absolutely everything, not just the venues and the planners, but also the planners and the delegates uh, and the venues and the delegates. Um, communication is absolutely everything. So as a big part um, of this, uh, of the Safer Events framework and the accreditation process, we will be providing both venues and, and organizers uh, with communication packs and advice on how to communicate with their delegates uh, and between the venue and the organizer uh, so that everyone understands exactly what's expected of them uh, and so everyone has the confidence to come to those events. So um, yes, like it, 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 it does have that, that risk assessment. Great. Okay, there's some other questions coming in, but we're going to get to those shortly because I now want to bring Rachel into the conversation. So, Rachel, as a venue, what measures have you been taking to get prepared as the industry emerges from lockdown? I mean, obviously, that's probably one of the most obvious uh, things that you know people on the outside are going to be looking at. Venues are going to have to be visibly seen to comply. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the key thing for us is um, the advantage we have is we're a cinema chain um, as well as conference venue. So our cinemas, as long as everything goes in the right direction, will be a number of the sites will be reopening from the 4th of um, July. So we've been working along with those protocols. So as a business, we have very much been looking back and saying, okay, what are our protocols? What do we want to achieve? Because it's absolutely key to give customer and client confidence in this process. So it's been looking at the um, delegate flows when they arrive, what are the process, what are the steps, um, right through to in-screen and then catering. So those are all the, the customer flows and key to that. Um, obviously the things that are also an absolute given in today's climate is the PPE, the health and um, the hygiene and the cleanliness. Um, but also it's how we deliver those messages to give that confidence. We're also very fortunate that we have got sites in Germany, Netherlands, Poland, um, Denmark, where actually a number of those locations have already reopened. So we've been able to actually look at their protocols and best practice and see what we need to apply because the the challenge with all of this is we're all wanting government guidelines but we've also got to set up our own best practice because the government guidelines will only go so far so behind all of those guidelines we're saying what's best practice for us as a business to give that confidence to clients and those steps. Great. So let's, you know, talk about you and your and your clients. What have you been hearing from them? What are they telling you about their event programs for the second half of 2020 and beyond? Yeah, um, we're fortunate that a lot, um, a little bit like nationally, they're wanting to stay with their events. So we're seeing not a lot of movement for Q4. Um, people are still wanting to proceed with those. Um, I think the the part that we are all kind of awaiting on is the capacity and distancing sizes because that will then make a big difference. We are very fortunate because we have a number of screens in every location of varying sizes that we can flex. So we haven't got just a ballroom that we're trying to fit everyone into. We can then say maybe that that 100-person event or that 50-person event now, because numbers are going down, that actually we just move them to another screen. Um, so as a business, we've got that fortunate to be able to flex it. But what we're really seeing um, the change in the market is hybrid. Um, again, we're in a very... Um, 
good situation that we can actually deliver that. We have got hybrid solutions that we've used previously, um, whether it's through the event cinema, through satellite, whether it's through the Wi-Fi connections. So um, Ed and I did a bit of a demo last week with one of the products that we've got. So we're able to adapt to this that terrible word, new norm, um, in these times with the, these concepts and evolve that. Absolutely. So again, we're going back to one of my pet hate words, which is challenges. But again, as a venue, there are going to be challenges. And, you know, there's one off the top of my head. I'll see if you say it. Otherwise, I might have to come back at you with a follow up question. But what do you see the biggest challenges for hosting, you know, real life events going forward in this in the short term, as far as you're concerned, from the venue perspective? Um, that's, yeah, a challenging one. Um, I think it's going to be some of it is going to be around the delegate flows, getting them um, from the catering side of it. So I think one of the hard things is the bar areas are a set size. Um, at the moment, we're going to be removing all the furniture. Um, we're human beings, we naturally want that contact. So how do you keep people two meters away because within um, our sites, we are going to have what we call our safeguarding staff. So we've brought in staff, we're training them on what we're calling safeguarding. So that's going to be in the foyers, in screen, conference delegates are going to have that and they're going to be working with the event organizers. So how do you stop us naturally wanting to progress to talk to each other within a social distancing side of it um, in an enclosed environment? I think also the catering side of it, we've done a lot of work with some of our preferred caterers around what that catering option will be and how that will look, but it's getting that confidence and people being comfortable with it. And I think that's one of the hardest things is there's some people that are comfortable to come back and want to be in that environment. You've then got people that aren't comfortable and can't yet because of their conditions that can't do that but that's where that hybrid solution comes into play but then how do you provide that hybrid for the people that may be at home watching it and don't have that catering solution hmm. yeah certainly interesting my kind of follow-up then is going to be you know on the matter of cost and this is something all venues are going to have to address at some point down the line you're in this situation where you have you'll be forced into reduced capacity so you have fewer people lower day delegate rate revenue but you're having to spend money on additional cleaning material and all the other ppe and all of the other stuff that that goes with it mm. so i i mean how's that cost going to break down is that something you have to absorb yourself is will be, be passed off in part to, to to the event organizer obviously i know it's a big that's a big question and it's not all down to you and all venues are going to have to face it just curious for your take yeah, the ones um, that we have been working on, um, it's kind of been open and honest and transparent. So we have got a large event that we're working on across 15 locations that historically had been one event for 1,700 people. So they've broken it down into a lot of regional locations. So really it's been about open, honest, transparent. Um, we have had to revise some of our costings um, but at the same time, it's more about flexing the space and having a degree of flexibility. But some, yes, the cleaning costs, yes, the PPE, those are core for our business that we have to absorb. That obviously doesn't make them as profitable. But then for the clients, it's entering that dialogue because we want that business. We need to secure that business. So how do we find that flexibility without giving it away? 
absolutely. Natalie, maybe. Yeah, it, it is. Actually, Natalie, maybe if I could just bring you in, I'd be interested in your perspective on that as an organiser. Have you spoken to venues? Has has the cost of of the cleaning and the PPE equipment and all of that been been raised? Um, it's not a discussion we've had yet, but I would really echo what Rachel's saying. 100% you have to be open and honest on both sides and make sure that it's really clear who's taking responsibility for what, because otherwise things are going to be misconstrued. Things are going to slip through the... Um, through the gap and that's the last thing that we want um i think there is a cost to be borne on both sides of the, of the fence if you like and i think as corporates and event planners that we should in the expectation that venues should be sucking up all the costs i think um my my budget team will be crying hearing me say that but you know I think it's incumbent on all of us to to suck it up to a certain extent and to put um put ourselves forward and and, and be amenable to actually dealing with it together there's lots of things that um, we're going to want to implement, but I don't think we can have an expectation on the venue to be delivering that kind of stuff. I think it's on us um, and vice versa. So, yeah, I think it's it's coming to the table, having an open, honest conversation um, with your venues and, and doing it early. So um, I know one of our venues is on the line today and we've, we've started conversations there, but we haven't kind of got to that bit yet. But it's absolutely something we need to, to iron out properly. Great. Before we uh, before we go to Paul, there's a question that's come in that I think, Rachel, you might be the best best place to field. I don't know your exact business model. I'm not sure if you do day delegate rates, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway and we see how we go. Diego has asked, is day delegate rate an option when venues reopen? As he says, they could be high given the limited number of attendees allowed in the venue. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, we have been quoting on some day delegate rates. Unfortunately, our model isn't always our core business isn't around day delegates. It's usually around um, screen hire. Um, but the day delegate stuff that we have been quoting on over the last couple of weeks, um, we have just had to reduce the minimum numbers and look at that. Um, it's it's a challenging one. They have the day delegate has gone up slightly because you've got fewer people in the screen, but then at the same time the catering isn't as large. So yeah, it's it's a hard one that it might end up that day delegates aren't as much of a um, option for venues to put forward it would maybe more that you purchase the space then you pay for your catering on top of that and there may be a minimum higher cost that you have to cover as part of that to offset that and make sure it's the profitability I think people have got to look at their own individual spaces and profitability because a day delegate rate for a meeting room that may have taken 10 people versus 200 people is going to have to be looked at very differently Absolutely. We've got another question for Ed, but I'm going to hold on that one because I want to bring Paul into the conversation. He's been sitting very patiently waiting for us to, to throw him a question. And I'm delighted to be able to do that now. So, Paul, you know, working at London and Partners, you know, you're, you're representing one of the world's leading event destinations. May just give us a bit of an overview. How have you been working to support your, you know, your relative event sector over the last Oh, my goodness me, 10 weeks, three months. I don't know where we are anymore. I know it feels about 10 years, doesn't it? But um, I think, um, firstly, no one has a magic solution to all of this. So, you know, what we always say is we're just trying to do the best job we possibly can to support everyone. It's a really tough time across every layer of the events um, uh, industry. And I think, you know, from our side, uh, I guess it's three key levels. It's one, 
you know we have a we work with a community of around 600 tourism and business event partners so basically we're just trying to support them as best we can so what that means is obviously signposting them to the key government support measures on what's happening it's um working on some real educational pieces to either upskill or help with their resilience. So things like financial planning, uh, contracting, and that dreaded word force majeure. It's uh, things such as uh, supporting their mental health, as well as having informal drop-ins to really support them navigate out of this. We've done a bit of upskilling on things like developing virtual assets to really help with those promotional platforms. So that's been a big part. So really sort of supporting their community, you know, our London community on that. On the other side, it's you know managing disruption, I guess the best ways of putting it. So we work with all event organizers from all over the world. So we've been working with them initially to sort of, you know, whether it's postponed business into the last quarter of uh, this year or now moving further ahead, um, or sort of supporting them on cancellation. So there's obviously been a mix of both. Um, a big thing that we've changed during this whole process is whilst before a lot of our focus was on international business coming into London, as a convention bureau now, we've, uh, I don't want to use the P word, but we've sort of made sure we are now doing a good job for our domestic audience, because clearly that is going to be the quickest recovery market for us. So we're making plans in earnest to support event planners as best possible. So they are the sort of two core things we're working on. I think the third one is what our senior management team are doing which is sitting on these various industry bodies and working groups that feed into government. So as an industry, and Martin, you'll know this much better than we, but we report into DCMS, which is the government department, which then feeds into the Treasury. So our senior management groups sit on the key groups that report into government, which is BVEP, uh, the Events Industry Board, um, uh, and the tier group. So those three groups are what report into government to hopefully give us the guidelines and the support we need. Yeah, if anyone wants a private lesson on the various acronyms and abbreviations and the multitude of different associations that actually exist to, to get our voice heard of government, just drop me a line. Uh, so, but Paul, you know, with, with that in mind, I mean, is there anything you can kind of tell us, any in, intel that you've heard about any likely interventions from government in the coming weeks? I mean, I understand that the uh, the guidance is coming out on the 18th of June. Have you got any, any light to shed on that that you're aware of? Uh, well, I think, um, I think what well, both you mentioned and Ed mentioned it earlier, um, there's definitely something coming, which is good. And it's on two key levels from what I understand. Um, first level is having like a consumer facing accreditation or kite mark, if you like, um, which really it's, it's basically to provide key messaging to help sort of uh, venues and hotels reassure the public that it's safe to book or visit their venues. So this is going to be a big piece and that will likely come in the next sort of week, two weeks. I think secondly, it would be those kind of guidelines to reopen. So looking at those key sort of um, real, really important framework areas that we need to talk about. So things like social distancing, capacities, you know, minimum standards we need to do in terms of sanitation, you know, but the most important thing in all of this, and this is, you know, which, uh, you know, we, which we've been talking at length about is we need that clear messaging. We need some kind of shared framework or risk assessment, because once that piece is established, 
once we have that in principle, we need to go on a massive confidence drive. We need people to feel safe. It needs to be responsible. And we need to make sure people are saying business events matter um, and really grow that confidence. And I have to say, you know, things that Space and Ed's team have done are fantastic. They're practical guidelines. They're what It's been inclusive. It's included corporate event organizers. What do they need to make events happen? That's been really good. We've had other industry associations do the same uh, with different sort of levels and different formats. But, you know, we, we've got to get ready to go soon because hopefully from the 4th of July, if not before, but 4th of July, government says we'll be able to open some hospitality and tourism services. Yeah, I think we're all kind of fingers crossed on that one. Uh, but you know, it all remains to be seen. But I guess, Paul, my you know, something I think we had to consider, and it was interesting to hear you say that you heard pivot, we'll let you off, but you, you were considering, you know, doing much more work with your domestic market. How much of this, you know, government-led 14-day quarantine malarkey is going to is going to potentially hinder our chance to compete with our international rivals? Well, no doubt. And, you know, and I think, you know, before I sort of answer that very directly, I think um, the most important thing in all of this is safety. We've got to feel safe. Everything has to be all aligned to that. And whatever we do has got to be responsible. But to your point on that, absolutely, we need them not to have quarantine for two weeks because other countries will be at a competitive advantage compared to the UK. So I know various bodies have been very vocal to government saying, can we revisit that? Because you know, clearly people that uh, are going to go to an event, if there's a border up of two weeks, you know, that puts the UK at disadvantage. So you have that side and also the social distancing. You know, that is another big piece in this. You know, again, really emphasising the safety thing is really important. But if UK has two metres, for example, social distancing, the US has 1.8. Germany and Italy has 1.5 metres. The WHO and France have one metre. So if you're an event organiser placing your international event, you know, and it comes to economies of scale, it comes to capacities. Again, there's differences there. So we need to be very accurate, very clear uh, on what happened. Again, from what I understand, this might be wrong, but this is, again, what we're thinking. They may start with one, so, for example, two metres, and then go down to one metre, which will be in line with the WHO. So I guess the suggestion to venues and hotels, it's looking at capacities based on those two levels. But, you know, hopefully we'll know more in the next sort of 10 days. Hopefully, indeed. Otherwise, take your conference delegates to the beach at Durdle Door. Seems to be absolutely perfectly safe down there. Uh, so, Paul, last question for you on my uh, on my formal list is I'm just curious. Have you seen any really good examples of support uh, out there for venues and organisers? You know, I mean, obviously, we, we know Higher Space are amazing and we know we're going to say that because Ed's here. Uh, but is there anything else out there as well that you think, yeah, OK, this is this is good. We're coming together. Uh, yes, I have. Um, and I think, you know, just to give Ed a nice plug as well. But the thing that comes practical, practical, so important in this, you know, and I think that's why Higher Space stuff is great. It's practical. It's easy to understand and you can implement it. And I think that's really good. I think you look at other industry associations right now, both UK and global. So you've had HBA come out with a quality in tourism. So that would be an accreditation. Uh, you have MIA that have come out and they're working very closely with government, but the roadmap of reopening and operating safely. And then you have uh, part of the acronym. So someone do, you know, virtually which ones these are. But you have ICA, which is the association, 
Congress Association, you have UFI, which is for exhibitions, and then you have AIPC, which is for the International Convention Centres. They've created a really good practice document that's actually very good. It's got great detail in talking about how venues can reopen and how organisers can apply these measures. But, you know, you also have over the private sector as well. You know, you look at some of our big global hotel chains like Accor. They've got the cleanliness and prevention all safe uh, mark. You've got Marriott with their global cleanliness council. Hilton are working with Lysol. ETC venues have got an 18-point plan. So you have all those things on the private side, but you also have our industry associations sending a lot of information. But again, you know, my point with all of this is the key point is we have to have some abiding principles that are consistent. We have to have um, uniformity in terms of how we communicate them out because it's all about generating business confidence on a huge level, but then it's also like we've got to train everyone up to be able to implement them and operate safely. Good stuff. Glad to hear it. Uh, there's some great questions that have come in. In fact, the most recent one is one of my favourite questions, so I'm going to hold on to that one. Uh, where are we? Uh, Lizzie Eaton asked earlier on, Ed, this is for you. Will Higher Space seek for the accreditation to be rubber stamped by any official health or government organisation to make it an official standard? It's a really good question, and we are talking to a, a number of big organizations in the private and public sector about this, we might do something that's, uh, that adds real value all round. I mean, I think the thing that we are, are most focused on is, uh, is, is, not, uh, is not overcomplicating things where, where uh, like well, keeping things as simple as possible and making sure that they're always very, very practical uh, and industry specific. This is all about, as we've kind of spoken before, um, it, it's designed to be uh, practical above all else and to apply very specifically to events of between or of up to 500 people uh, in, in the UK. And uh, our focus is on making sure that the, the, the measures we are proposing are always completely comprehensive um, of all of that guidance offered by government, all of the guidance offered by uh, public health bodies and by the industry associations globally um, and domestically. We have a, a team uh, reviewing the white paper every day and making sure that it's always consistent and it's always comprehensive uh, and, that it's, and, that, and that it's always practical. Um, that's, the, that, that's the focus and, and it might be that we, uh, that, 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 that we bring other organisations uh, in, involved with it, uh, uh, involved um, with it as well um in order to to kind of keep that uh keep, keep that momentum going great we've got another question here from lisette matthews and uh, rachel and natalie i'd like your both of your views on this one it reads if social distancing measures will be in place for the foreseeable future if the venue cannot maintain sorry if the venue cannot meet the minimum numbers originally contracted looking at large-scale events and so on with the new social distance measures in place does the contract automatically become voided rachel could i have your view on that will contracting be an issue if the venue cannot meet the social distancing criteria um i think that probably is something individually to pick up with your own venue i can only talk about from our side we've already had conversations with our legal team um because i think all parties are wanting some COVID policies in there um again i have to say it's that relationship to me 
yes, you would have to have that discussion. Um, it's a little bit like when everything went into lockdown, we were moving events, we were having discussions with some people that we could just relocate a new date and give them a date in Q4 or next year. Um, for other clients, it was that event was a set purpose. So we wanted that relationship with them. So we took a decision to find a solution individually with them. Um, it's a very hard question to answer um, without knowing the specifics because you might have other business that you're giving that venue that they want to su sustain that and then would find a solution that works. Um, yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Natalie, can I get your opinion on that, please? From your perspective, the venue must be able to meet criteria, I guess. And if it can't, does that mean the contract is still valid from an organiser's perspective? What do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think to say that the contract is void is, is quite a hard line. And I, I don't know what the legal stance would be on it. But I think, mm. Rachel, you're right. It's about having that conversation. Um, to give you an example, I've approached one of our venues about it and they've been really wonderful. Um, they have said whatever the number is that we have as our maximum new maximum capacity, that's the number we'll charge you on. Um, I can't guarantee that every venue is going to respond that way, but, you know, I think we're, every venue I can imagine is going to want to, to keep those relationships going and is, is going to be keen and to, to um, keep the long-term, uh, the longevity of those relationships. And the best way to do that is obviously flexibility. Um, I know, I understand there's, there's a limit to how, how flexible you can be to, to still be profitable, but I think it's, it's having a conversation and don't go in there all guns blazing just ask the question and, and approach it in a in a kind of um a negotiating way rather than a hard line you must you know void our contracts because i don't think that's going to work i think people will be open to a conversation and i think absolutely that's going to be key because also the on the other side of it you've got minimum numbers what are the minimum numbers going to be um and we're in a lot of uncertainty that like we've been doing work around two meters distancing hopefully at some point that's going to go down to one meter and that's then going to change capacities again so pick up the phone and have those conversations are absolutely key yeah i think yeah diego in the comment sections makes a fair point he says it's not up to the venue it's what the government allow and i think that's just touched on what you said there rachel so we're at the moment we're working to this basis that two meters is the given but it could change to one meter next week we just don't know so again it is all about transparency and just having open and honest conversations and between organizers and venues and in the supply chain everyone just keeping keeping the dialogue open and just being honest with each other uh, so we've got one question here from Lizzie Eaton. Again, Lizzie's firing out the question today. She should be a journalist. Uh, she's doing much better than me. Uh, we've got just a few minutes left. So I'm going to throw this at Paul and Ed for laughs because I don't really know who's best place to answer it. Lizzie asks, how do we make sure all the measures suggested by the various associations are consistent? Right. So, Ed, why don't we start with you? Yeah, happy to answer. Th thanks for the question. You know what? I, I don't think the uh, the measures suggested by various associations are ever going to be consistent. Um, I, I, you're, ne you're never going to get a completely uh, uh, identical set of measures from for, from all the, the various people that, that uh, the, the associations and the, the organisations that have important things to say on this topic. It's going to be different in any, in every geography. 
for instance. Um, it's going to be different depending on the, the, the size of the event. It's going to be different depending on the scope of the event. I think what's really important uh, is that we have a set of measures that are agreed upon uh, for any uh, individual, uh, individual one of those, essentially. So, for instance, the higher space measures are designed for the UK only. Uh, they're designed for events up to 500 people, um, and they take um, all of the, the various bits of advice from other organizations and associations and they make them consistent uh, and they provide that framework for understanding all of the advice that relates to uh, the UK up to 500 people. Uh, and I think that's what we need for, for each of the different uh, locations and, and types of venue. Um, but I don't think you're going to have total consistency across what everyone's saying because everyone's speaking about slightly subtly different things. Great, thanks, Ed. Paul, what are your views on that? Uh, well, it's a great question from Lizzie, and I think, I think very much like Ed said, it's hopefully there'll be a broad set of principles, let's say, which really focus on some of those ten key things, like you know, sterilisation, social distancing, screening, crowd control. You know, those some those key principles, because then the associations will, I guess, feed in more detail in terms of creating as best information as possible to then feed their members. And that's not just a COVID thing, that's always happened. So I think the most important thing is there is that shared framework from the top that has some of those key principles in place. And Ed raised another interesting point, you know, even if we have this for UK-based associations, if you're dealing with a US client, a Chinese client, a Russian client, wherever they're from, they will have probably their own national guidelines in place. So you know, it's very much going to have to be working with, you know, where the client's from, you know, as well as in line with the, sort of the government guidelines and which industry association you're part of. But I completely agree to Lizzie's sentiment. There has to be some consistent key principles that we all adhere to. And that's good for all of us in the UK, not just London. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. That pretty much brings us to the end of this with about one minute to spare. I think the last thing, Ed, I know a few people have asked where they can find your white paper and the uh, and the accreditation. Do you want to just let people know where they can go to have a read? Uh, if you Google higher space, safer events, um, you'll find a page where you can down, download the white paper. It's worth downloading at the first time because it, it oh, it's just been put in the uh, in the chat. Um, once you've downloaded it once, you will always be updated when it gets updated following the latest guidance issued or the latest um, uh, feedback from uh, from corporates or venues. So it updates, you know, every few days. So download it once and you'll always be uh, updated every time it refreshes. Great stuff. OK, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you've got any other questions that you'd like to ask the panel, I'm sure we can find a way of doing that. If you'd like to find uh, me on LinkedIn, Martin Fullard, there's, I think there's not many of us. Uh, I'm happy to connect with you all on LinkedIn. And if you've got any questions for our panel here, maybe I can forward it on to them and we can discuss in a more offline environment. Anyway, folks, I'm going to say thank you to our panel and goodbye. Enjoy the rest of my book tour. We really hope you enjoyed those talks and if so, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.